Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is the priestly prayer. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on those running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. I am Pastor Amanda Zenzelo, and it's my honor to serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, I don't know the priestly prayer. Apparently it was not one that I was asked to memorize as a child in the Catholic Church. Which is generous because it's really, really long. Yeah. It's not something that people are going to memorize easily. Okay. If people memorize it, they're memorizing a chapter plus. Wow. Out of scripture. So this is a prayer that is spoken by Jesus. Okay. It is found in the Gospel of John. Only in Gospel of John? Only in John. Okay. So this is not something that comes in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is only in the Gospel of John. And one of the things that we know about John is that it's this gospel that is kind of like loosey-goosey. Whoa, Mm. man, all the stuff, depths, go deep, cool visions. Right. So it can get really hard to understand. Okay. The priestly prayer is kind of the epitome of that. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it's great. So where it happens in the scripture, by the numbers, it happens in John chapter 17. Okay. In the storyline, it happens during Jesus's last night before the crucifixion. So he has been with his disciples. His friend Judas has already left to betray him. Jesus Mm -hmm. knows exactly what's going on in the Gospel of John, fully aware where Judas is going. He has washed the feet of the disciples and has given the commandment to love one another. Okay. And then he has this whole prayer that he prays with them listening in. Oh, so they're overhearing him. They're overhearing him. And it's this big, long, circular full of pronouns, really hard to understand, all over the place, messy prayer. Okay. (laughs) What people can't see is Uh is you're giving me the look like, what? The content of the prayer itself, when you can like dig through it and start to try to understand what the heck is going on within it, is really it's a prayer of protection. Against something or from something? From. Okay. From the evils, from the darkness, from the hard things. And it's for the people that Jesus is about to leave. It's for the believers. So So he's not praying for himself. He's praying for the believers. Exactly. Okay. He knows full well where he is going and what's going to be happening. And he knows that he can no longer protect his disciples. And he will not be able to protect the believers that come after from the darkness, from the evil, from the violence, from all the things that can happen after he leaves. And so this is this incredible prayer. And I think, you know, I I had a really rough relationship with the Gospel of John for a long time. But as people who've been listening to the podcast have learned over the last couple of years, like it's totally growing on me. Mm -hmm. And this prayer is part of what's grown on me. And when I stopped trying to understand it by words... And I started to try to understand it by emotion. Okay. It started to make a lot more sense. And when I stopped thinking of it as difficult English and I started treating it like Shakespeare. Okay. So you're not trying to break it down like an AP English class and find the eighth level meaning of whatever. 
Right. So much as you're supposed to understand the emotion behind it. I found that by looking at the emotion behind it and by treating the difficulty of the language as a challenge in the same way that I would treat Shakespearean language as a challenge. Okay. That then when I started to really try to find, okay, well, what's what does this actually mean when he says this? As an actress, I used to take a section of Shakespeare and I would say, okay, what does this mean in my language? And what emotionally is happening for this character? What's going on that causes her to say these things? And so I would come to a better understanding through her story and through understanding her story and through kind of examining the emotional point and journey that she was on. And when I did the same thing with this prayer, suddenly it made a lot more sense. Okay. Can you give me a for instance? Well, I've got some of it here. And Fantastic. Here's some book pages. Here's some of the fun that is really confusing. Again, this is Jesus. And this is about three quarters of the way through the prayer. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one, I in them, and you in me, and then they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. (laughs) This is really one of those prayers that drives me nuts. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Huh. So obviously I'm not reading that in a way that it's going to make sense, Mm -hmm. right? I was just kind of reading it through in a way that we can get tossed into language and get lost in language. And when we're stuck with things like I am in you and they are in us and we are them and It sounds like Beatles lyrics. Right. (laughs) Come together is going to be in there somewhere. (laughs) And so it's really hard to kind of not get totally lost. But then if I think about those moments in life when I am feeling the most vulnerable and when I am feeling the most out of control and I know I am not going to be able to protect people that I love and I can't stop bad things happening from someone that I love, or I can't stop a bad thing happening from myself even, or, you know, the prayers that I pray are not logical. No. They don't go through a logical sequence of, dear God, I know that you are with me and I'm going to be okay. Please give me the strength Mm -hmm. to get through that da-da-da-da. Right. When you're really emotional, you get prayers like, I don't know what's happening and it's and it's not my fault, and, but they were there and I know you're here and I don't know how I'm going to get through to there. But right. Uh huh. So when I think about these sloppy, messy prayers of life and perhaps particularly in any kind of parental role, uh-huh. when you get to that point where, you know, you can no longer protect the person that you love. You cannot protect this child. You cannot do anything to stop them from experiencing the darkness of life. And more to the point, sometimes you shouldn't protect them from it. They have to kind of experience it. They have to go through it. And the only thing left for you to do for the person that you love, and this can be, you know, a child that is in your care, or maybe it's someone who is in the throes of addiction and you cannot keep enabling them and you cannot stop them from hitting rock bottom or else they're never going to find their way back up again. 
And the only thing you have to do is say, God, I have to give them to you. And I have to trust that you're going to be in this because I know you're with me and I know you guide me and I know you give me comfort. And so please be with this person that I love and keep them safe and get them through this because I can't. That is the heart of the priestly prayer. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus on his last night on earth saying, God, you are with me and I'm a part of you, and you're a part of me. And these people are going to be alone, and I love them. And I have loved every moment of being with them. And I'm going to keep loving them, but I can't stay with them. So show up and be with them. Hold them, guide them, keep them safe, keep them faithful, Help them to find joy. Help them to find their way through this and help them to know they're not alone. That is the priestly prayer. So it's more important that he prayed the prayer and not necessarily the content of the prayer? I think for me, I get comfort on both levels. Okay. Right? I'm comforted by the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to have messy prayers. Mm -hmm. I talk about it as like the snotty, messy, icky prayers of life where you just make no sense. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that my God knows what that feels like. So when I have those snotty, nasty, icky prayers, I know I'm not alone in that. God even knows what that feels like. I think the content itself is also beautiful. That notion that God loves us so much that God would spend time praying for protection. Because what happened when Jesus left was a lot of these disciples were also going to end up as martyrs. Mm -hmm. right? The world that they faced was not easy. And people who live their faith in strong and powerful ways don't always have easy, simple lives. And I think the compassion that Jesus has around that is a comforting thing and is beautiful. If you can get past all the random pronouns and all the circular language and see what the prayer is about... And see that it's this prayer of protection and love and care. It's a beautiful gift on the last night before he dies. Are the random pronouns in the circular language, is that a byproduct of it having been translated? I wish it was, but it's actually not. It's even more confusing in the Greek because oh, there's nice. no punctuation. Oh, fun. Right? The original Greek has no punctuation. There's no delineation of the endings of sentences. And the pronouns and the different pieces, it's really hard to tell who it's referring back to. So even though the Gospel of John is an easier Greek to translate than some other Greek to translate within the New Testament, just because his grammar is fairly good, it's still really hard. It's just circular language. It, it is what it is. Huh. Here's a random question for you. Why is it called the priestly prayer? Oh, great question. So the idea of the priest... The person who sacrifices things on behalf of community. Okay. Right? Not priest as in Catholic, Roman Catholic priest. Yeah, this is where my confusion is coming from. Right. Not priest as in Roman Catholic priest, but priest as in the priests of the Hebrew scripture who were the ones who facilitated the sacrifice and the making right with God relationship. Okay. And so you would go to the priests in order to bring your sacrifice and that priest would be the broker between your forgiveness, that sacrifice to receive the forgiveness from God and those kinds of pieces. 
And in this, Jesus is being that broker. Jesus is praying in a way that the priests would pray, right? This kind of, I am standing on their behalf and asking for them that you would do this thing. Is this where confession comes from? No, actually confession comes from post-resurrection. Oh. So confession is keyed into the visit of Jesus when the doors are locked for fear of the Jews and they are gathered together and Jesus shows up and says, this is before the Thomas situation. Thomas wasn't Uh there for this part, but the very beginning says anything you loose on earth will be loosed and anything you bind on earth will be bound. And so that's where confession comes from. Okay. So getting back to then what a priest is and does. And that kind of brokering of a deal, that kind of mediator. And Jesus is praying this prayer, this grand, huge, giant, goes on for a very long time prayer about the kinds of things that he's brokering this relationship. And the sacrifice will be himself. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's, And he knows that, but knows the people that. listening to him pray don't know that or have they, assumed it? They don't get it. Right. There's a difference between knowing something and actually getting it sure. and actually believing it. So even though Jesus has said it and explained it, that doesn't mean that you believe it's actually going to happen. They don't get it. Fair enough. Yeah. So is this something that comes up a lot in like seminary or where did you come across it? Good question. It was something that came up in seminary. So my final year, I may have talked about it a couple of times where I took the class from the Jesuits, mm-hmm. not the Jesuits. I took the class from the Franciscans. Mm-hmm. And it was the class on John, and we were supposed to m- memorize scripture and present it. And I chose you memorize the, the prayer. I did <laughs> because I was still really close to my acting days, so it was a lot easier than it would be now. But I picked up on this prayer as really, truly feeling like a Shakespearean monologue. Sure. In a lot of ways, in, in the same way that you get into be or not to be, that is the question, whether it is sure, sure, you sure. can really get into the meat of that kind of monologue in Shakespeare. And this has that kind of tooth to it, really in depth and something to really bite into. So I spent time with it that year, but it came back around <laughs> like 12 years later or more when I wrote my book. Okay. For my doctorate program. And one of the scripture passages that was chosen for the story lectionary that we created was this passage out of John 17. Now, did you choose this or was this the one that they are like, hey, have this one? I chose it. Okay. I picked it. On purpose. (laughs) On purpose. This was one of the ones that I absolutely chose on purpose. And it was one of the first ones that I wrote for the book. Oh, interesting. Which I would say the metaphor in the book is a little looser. I used the rosary beads. Okay. And my experience of playing the nurse in Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) That's fantastic. Because she's who taught me how to pray. The nurse in Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. Learning that role. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up praying or any of that kind of a thing. But for character development, she always wore a rosary. That was part of who she was. She wore a rosary. She wears a wimple. She wears the full headdress. Mm -hmm. She is who she is as a Catholic woman. And so I held on to and used a rosary throughout the entire rehearsal process and all of that to really find my character. And I learned how to pray the rosary. And I learned how to pray. 
And I learned the value and the gift of prayer through that character. And so when, you know, she finds Juliet, when she finds her charge dead, the first thing she does was, in my portrayal of her, was grab that rosary. Sure. And weep. So at the time, my mom was giving me a piece of jewelry for each show, like a show memorabilia piece. Sure. And that was when I was given my first cross that I began wearing on a regular basis. Oh, that's fascinating. It's my senior year of high school, about two years before I was baptized. So that's what led you to pick this particular passage. Yeah, I have an affinity. I mean, just this idea of this prayer and then the messiness of it. When I got into it, I wanted to pick it because of what I had recognized in it in that class in seminary. Uh And then when I sat down with it to write it, I was reminded of the nurse. And so that's where I went. So it's in my book. It's a chapter in there. And I'll take a look and see if I still have it up online and available. We can link it. The book is still available. I have plenty of copies that people can pick up. We can certainly put a link to that. But I'll see whether or not I have the full text still up and available. What kind of feedback did you get from the instructor? On this one? Yeah. I'm trying to remember whether or not this one made it into the big compilation book. I'll have to check and see if it's in the big compilation book. Don't know that it is. The metaphor wasn't as strong, but... It's a tough passage to write on. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy one to dig into. It's not an easy one to explain to folks. No, which is why I'm guessing that they chose it for the lectionary for that reason. I think he chose it because it's a really important moment and there's nothing else like it. It really is a unique piece of understanding who Jesus is to us. That There's nothing like this that we have the words of in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. We just have Jesus praying in Gethsemane. We don't have the actual words. Does it get called out into other things? Like Mary's Magnificat, does it get Mm -hmm. used that way? Mm -mm. No? No, partially because it's just so hard to get into. Mary's Magnificat is written out as poetry in our scripture, and so people can see that it's poetry. This is just this giant block of text. Okay. Chapter 17 is just a dense block of text. It's not written out in a way that kind of lets you begin to parse it out easily. You really have to work to start digging out how to get through it. It's very hard to read aloud well. (laughs) Nice. It takes a lot of work, actually. Does it get read out in total in church? A lot of it does. parts of it? So this Sunday, Mm -hmm. this is our gospel passage for the week. And so it's a big chunk of it. And I'm not sure exactly how many verses it is, but it's a pretty big, substantial chunk. And it just takes practice. Sure. You just have to practice it. The whole entire chapter, I don't think, ever gets fully read all in one sitting in church. This is probably like 24 verses of it. All right. Then this leads me into my last question. Do you enjoy preaching it in church? I am looking forward to preaching it, which probably means that by Saturday night, I'm going to have nothing to say and I'm going to be an absolute wreck because inevitably when I'm You're excited stand about up and it, push play on the podcast. Oh, it's so awful. <laughs> inevitably, like the weeks where I'm like on Tuesday, I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm preaching. Come Saturday night, I'm like, I don't have any ideas. I don't know what I'm doing. That'll be perfect. So right, that's pretty much. But right now, this early in the week, I'm excited about preaching on it. Because I think it's beautiful, and I think it's relatable. 
and I think it talks to our hearts. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the priestly prayer. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening. It would be lovely to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on Facebook or send us an email at podcast at centralportland.org. If you are a listener via iTunes, it would be great to have a message from you by the form of a review. It helps us to know that you're out there and we love to hear from you. And it helps other people find the podcast. It does that too. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.